I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. What are you really afraid about, Mel Brooks? So what? I don't think I, Mel Brooks is is getting up there. He's in his nineties, and the thing that really bothers me is that Mel Brooks will eventually die. I know that's heartbreaking to me, and I'm sure no a huge amount of other people. But the really heartbreaking thing is that I don't think Carl Reiner will outlive him by much because they spend every fucking day together. Yeah, I know they're the they're, they're old married couple. Yeah, they really, really they watch, are. They watch Jeopardy with each other. Yeah, yeah and the so wheel. and <laughs> wheel. strangely enough. So Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner was on WTF like eight months ago, and he was talking about how um, his father's writing partner was Mel Brooks. His writing partner was Albert Brooks, and now Rob Reiner's son is involved in the film industry, and Max. his fucking writing partner also has the last name Brooks. Max Brooks? Max Brooks, yeah. yeah. No it, shit. Uh, his son oh. Max Brooks is the zombie book guy. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, no, it's a yeah. different one. It's not, it's Carl, so Rob Reiner's son works with a different person named Brooks that is not Max Brooks. Okay. Oh, okay. I would desperately want that to happen. Because Max Brooks is Mel Brooks' son. Yes, yeah. no, he absolutely yeah. is. He and when you see a picture of him, you're like, is. I totally see Mel Brooks. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to it, get the unabridged World War Z yeah, audiobook because he got shit. like fucking a shit ton of A-list actors to do mm-hmm. voice acting on it. And it is really, it's much more like a radio play than an audiobook. It's one of the rare cases where I would say that you shouldn't bother with the book. You should only do the audio. Whoa. Really? Because That's, it's so spectacularly good. It really good. is. It's so, it's, the delivery is so much better. You know, even the things that rely on huge degrees of tropism, it works in the context of radio play in yeah, that sense. It I, works I always, so much better. I always wanted to have the audiobook of the uh, Star Trek book written by James Doohan, narrated by James Doohan. Yeah. In the Scotty accent? Yeah, this is, this is mid-90s. This is like 96. I don't know why. For some reason, I learned about this at a Hollywood video. Really, I don't understand why. I don't. Maybe Hollywood Video had audiobooks for a certain period. God, that's a long time to keep with an accent. Yeah, that would have been amazing, especially if you had gotten him to do it and then had him imitate like Shatner. Of course, yes, yes, because because he was James Duan did all the all the alien voices for the animated series. Yeah, speaking of orange rage machines, (laughs) wow, it's. Actually, this this talk about wait. Do, do any of our listeners know if Hollywood Video did rent audiobooks back in the day? I don't no. VHS uh, and cassette is, tapes. It doesn't sound is it right. possible. It's possible, mm. but probably not. Mm. It's it's possible, yeah. I don't know. Nobody would so. take a chance on books. That's my <laughs> argument. But yeah, they may that's have been. Real. That's well, real. Yeah, I don't know. They may have been selling. I don't know. I'm selling the book. My, my Swiss cheese brain. How, how can you know? Although, uh, although this, I just know that uh, Scotty was an author. Although I'm sure he had a ghostwriter. I'm sure oh, he did not write yeah. a Star Trek novel without someone helping him. Yeah, along. he can't do. He doesn't have the power. <laughs> I, the idea of somebody maintaining an accent for like a six-hour book is one. It sounds like a nightmare for an actor. But it reminds me of uh, something that actually happened to me or someone sitting next to me. Um, 
Uh, God, in the early 2000s, I had a shitty, horrible, life-sucking job at a market research place. Oh, God. And uh, my job was to call people on behalf of credit card companies and do surveys with them or an insurance company or whatever and find out how much people liked or didn't like them. Sometimes it could be amazing, like when you let people know, no, I do not work for them, and they could fucking unload, like this guy who wanted to talk about his credit union. And I actually ran out of space in the open-ended question thing to type out his thing verbatim, and I had to start handwriting it. (laughs) And I think the phrase, a bunch of fucking cocks was used. (laughs) Nice. And I'm like, okay, let me read that back to you. (laughs) And I had to make sure I got it word for word. That was part of the job. But um, that's beautiful. That is amazing. Occasionally, we would get a survey where you'd hit all the quotas. Then you had to match the demographics of an area or of the customer base so that you could actually trust the information you had. And uh, I forget it was like an insurance company or bank or something. And uh, we had hit every quota except this narrow range where you had to be a woman between 45 and 55 in a certain income bracket. You'd have a certain hair color. And I think you had to like the movie Jaws or something. It was like <laughs> super specific. That's so close to being me. No. <laughs> Basically just the Jaws part. <laughs> so close. And we, so you would get used to calling people, getting them to finally humor you, and then saying goodbye to them two minutes later after they didn't qualify. And so you're like, okay. So me and uh, my friend Hans... Uh, who was sitting next to me, decided, it's like, well, let's fuck around. Let's give fake names for ourselves and do accents and do all sorts of shit. <laughs> and um, I would I would usually use names for myself that came from Lord of the Rings. Beautiful. My favorite name to use for myself was Theoden. <laughs> uh, I think I used Peregrine once. Um, Aomir. Oh I would God. just do all sorts of shit like that. And... Um, uh, <laughs> Hans, Hans would use a British accent and say his name was Nigel. <laughs> and this was all fun until somebody fucking qualified. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I have never seen terror like I saw on Hans's face in that moment. Oh, no. Because he had to maintain that um, British accent. Not a good British accent. We're talking like a Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins British accent. Oh, my God. It's For- a jolly Oli Dowry with surveys. This survey was 20 minutes long. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, and he was like, oh, oh. Oh, right, uh, I say that, oh, and it was just—it was that, and it was—it was hilarious to watch. Because I, I, I would drop it after the first minute, <laughs> so I would just say, "I'm sorry, we got to go with the rest of it." It's, but yeah, it—it it made me think. Did, did he commit? Did he commit to the whole he thing? He fucking committed, wow. and he finished. Oh wow! You better have bought him lunch or something. I was—that's impressive. Just, Oh, good job, sir. Nice. I never did accents. I was too terrified. I'm too much of a wimp for that sort of thing. I don't have the stomach. The to... only only way that could have gotten worse is if you actually hit an actual British person who allowed oh. you to go 20 minutes like that until they finally went, so you're an American. <laughs> <laughs> I would do accents working at Kinko's, working the counter, because I would work the swing shift and on like a Sunday at oh, wow. you know 6 p.m., Nobody's fucking in there. So you'd get one and you'd be like, ah, what do you need? Ah, the copper's Dan can't do it back here. And it was it was a lot of fun, but it was always very much like, I'm not going to do these copies for you. You can do them yourself or you can leave. I worked at a movie theater in high school. And uh, when you work in the box office where you're selling tickets, that is the cush job of anything oh, yeah. in yeah. that building because you have these big periods of time after you've sold all the tickets and nobody's coming up to buy it. 
But they might. You have like a, a 1% chance you see a human being during that time. <laughs> also, by the way, you can turn up the volume on that microphone thing and hear conversations on the other side of the parking uh, lot. Didn't hear that from me about a building that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> nice. I see an action movie or a suspense movie coming from that where like this oh. voyeuristic tendency leads into overhearing, dun, dun, dun. Oh, I'm a on the murder. run. A murder. Yes. Or a drug deal gone awry. Wait a minute. That's wasn't, the only way I'm the main character in a spy thriller. Wasn't that movie awesome. called uh, I can't think of like it's got what to is it, exist what is it yeah, no it, not only does it exist but it exists in like Blowout the American remake of Blowout the conversation uh, and that's just off the top of my head are all about people voyeurs they, yeah espionage voyeurs is what it's yeah. yeah they'd be in the wrong place at the wrong and time they're listening and, in the wrong place kind of, at the wrong it's time it's kind of a window a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the ear equivalent of Rowert. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and Antonioni's ear blowout. Uh, <laughs> ear window. <laughs> ear window. Like ear window. And Antonioni's blowout, it is, or blow, blow up. Blow up. It's blow up. Blow. Uh, it's a photographer. And if, uh, also, it is impossible to say the name um, uh, Antonioni and not immediately sound pretentious yeah mm. i thought you just sound like macaroni Mac- yeah that works or, <laughs> just makes macaroni's blow up <laughs> yes ravioli ravioli give me ravioli. the formioli <laughs> that's what i'm thinking that's yes the works of macaroni <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the most i ever pushed my luck working in that booth was you get bored enough one you can also read an entire fucking book i think i read a terry goodkind book while doing that job <laughs> wow. that's a lot of free time <laughs> and uh i is that, I, the, is that the kind that will not fit in your back pocket? No, that's it's the one that you have. Big to it will not fit in your back pocket. And also, I'm sorry because I've read Terry Goodkind and I'm not a fan. <laughs> to be fair, I was 16. Okay, that's mm. that's fair. That's what fair. was that thing you said about that taste window? It is. <laughs> You're emerging from the taste window. I was yeah. getting to the point where I'm starting to realize, wait, does this suck? <laughs> <laughs> wait, I was taken in by the women and the hot women in red leather, but yeah. now I'm thinking maybe this might <laughs> be like, problematic. Maybe I don't want to mix Lord of the Rings and Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> that is the ab- the most apt description of of the sort of truth series I've ever heard. But I, I, I decided to really push my luck with how much I could get away with in that job. So I started making up fake movies and hanging them <laughs> on the uh, the trailer. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, the the one that I hit up there because I would make up a plot and I would just there'd be another one that they just stopped having shows for the week before that the times were all still on it and i just put the ta- you know the name of the movie with the little letters in the corner and uh the rating it was an r-rated movie called um critical mass and critical mass was an action thrill ride <laughs> starring uh, james spader and um kurt russell who weren't in anything at the time but i didn't realize until later that they were like wait is this a stargate guys yeah <laughs> but the plot I came up with, I ripped off from a Stephen Hunter book where it was about um, a group of, of German terrorists take over NORAD and are trying to hack into the computer. And a soldier played by Kurt Russell teams up with the computer scientist who invented the, 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 the security system that's keeping the, the terrorists out. Um, is the is played by James Spader, and they have to team up to take down the terrorists. So that was the plot that I, I used. That's beautiful. That is. And uh, when I hung it up there, and I wanted to see if anyone would try to buy a ticket for it with no trailers and just my synopsis. <laughs> and I, I told two people about it, and one person bit. 
And they were like, sounds good. I'm like, uh, um, I made that up. You know, you should, you know, what you should check out is the Big Lebowski. Yes. Which is found at the time and it was fucking great. Yes. Beautiful. But I, that experience scared me enough. <laughs> That that would move up the thing, and I'd have to have a really uncomfortable conversation with a manager that they probably never anticipated. <laughs> I'm making up films. Like, hey, to be fair, I sold a ticket to that fake film. No. Or I could have. It would have to be like a Be Kind Rewind or something where you'd have to sweet it or something. Oh, or like, like some version of just fucking take it or tape it at home with your friends or I gotta something. make this fast. <laughs> yeah, God. Shit, why did I pick such a big topic? I could have just done <laughs> some mumblecore movie. I could fake that. Oh, my God. But yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. But yeah, that's that scared me out of doing that again. See, movies like that are really popular, and it always made me Crit- wonder- Critical Mass, you mean? Yes, Critical Mass. <laughs> movies like- No, movies where, like, soldier guy teams up with a guy doing other thing, teams up with this guy to do awesome things. And that's why I was always really curious as to why a global frequency show never happened. Because that was like, have you guys- who's, have you, Warren Ellis coming. Yeah, yeah. So the global, there, there are a thousand. In the beginning, there's a thousand members. And in the first issue- they add one. There are a thousand and one members of the global frequency. They can be activated at any time. And every one of them is an expert in something that they might, that Miranda Zero, who is the, at the head of this organization, might need. So they have nuclear physicists and xenolinguists and uh, park, like parkour acrobats. Really and, good knitters. Like really yes. good yeah. fucking knitters because holy shit. When that moment comes and you need a knitter to save you the world. You need it more mm-hmm. than you've ever needed anything. But like it's it's this really interesting idea because every issue starts out with Miranda Zero going, I'm Miranda Zero and you are on the global frequency. And it's like it's it's specific it's like episodic like you already mm. have the first fucking season plotted out and like you would do it basically like you did Mission Impossible back in the day where you like you had like a a, a couple core players and then you just had guest stars every week and it's it's fucking perfect it like writes itself like who doesn't who doesn't want to watch that it's like this week watch as the world's foremost free diver t- takes on the guy that invented the robo sub and also this guy that's trained in bio like there's an issue with the guys that they're biofeedback guys so they basically are just like oh you just ripped my arm off don't care shut down the blood flow to it and I'm coming after you still see I just suddenly had the idea of somehow recruiting the shamwow guy <laughs> oh my god I mean that's like the kind of thing is just I, I always thought that would be amazing right it's like, we need someone to aggress Possibly sell a mop. <laughs> or yes. to wow. slap a prostitute. <laughs> oh, God. Come on. He went there. I didn't go there. He went there. If he hadn't done it, it I was wouldn't him. make fun of him. It was and him. If, it was him. If nothing else, Joe, you can rest assured that in our world of creative bankruptcy and sequelitis, there is probably a period of time that this will be made into a show. <laughs> I'm sure it will. It's okay. We, we are just enjoying digging at the bottom of the fucking world. As See, long as we can, so I'm, maybe um, we'll get some good shit. I, well, I, maybe, I think there, I think there are will. things that will never like. This is I know I had a note from my high point for Vertigo, which was Transmetropolitan. 
I hope it never gets adapted. Oh God, me yeah. too. I hope I'm it never with does. You. I'm more than happy to have Sandman similarly like yeah. avoid yeah. all forms of like film. And yeah. there, there might be I'm some there might be some happen. snobbery in that, but I think we can Same. all take we can all take the lessons that have was learned from Preacher as a, now a TV show to understand that like yes, yeah, some of these things can be adapted, but they they end up being kind of an Alan Moore adaptation, right? Where something, something gets specific. Ro- something that gets robbed from it mm-hmm. and then it really isn't the same thing and you kind of are just feeling like it didn't need to happen. It well, really this didn't. this kind of comes to that question is I want to make more comic book people. I want an excuse to make more comic book people and if I make all the really great things into movies, they have no excuse to try out a fucking comic. <laughs> well, and that's Let's the, hold some yeah. things in re- reserve and say you can only get this here. Now, in library land though, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. Because uh, sounds like a magical place. It, yeah. it is a magical place, you know, mm-hmm. where we're always checking shit out. Um, but like <laughs> one of the things I've come to find a supreme amount of joy in is um, allowing myself to throw some of my frustrations and pretensions about uh, things, quote, getting popular because then everyone's in my treehouse um, <laughs> out of the window because it's been really great to have the experience of loving something and wanting to share it with people and having someone walk up with um, the first Dark Tower book Hmm. or Hmm. and be like, so I've never read the Stephen King book. And I'm like, it's not like his other books. Let me tell you. And it's like, yeah, I heard they're making a movie and I kind of want to know before or read it for the movie. And I was like, well, you'll have a lot to do. Thousands of pages. (laughs) Let me tell you why this is different and fun and like what sort of thing you can prepare for. Or I'm a massive Lemony Snicket fan. Like, hmm. there has been no greater joy that I've had in the past, like, several months at least, um, than having a little kid come up to me and ask for Lemony Snicket books. Wow. And if I'm not wearing my boots that day, my VFD tattoo comes out and their eyes just get <laughs> huge. Like, I've had these little kids like, you're a volunteer. And I'm like, well... Maybe kind of thing. I have a little girl that I give codes to every time she comes in. I have something ready at my desk just in case she comes in because she loves it so much. She wants to be a spy because of Lemony Snicket. And it's a really cute thing and a great thing for me to go, okay, this Netflix thing not only turned out pretty good as an adaptation when I was extremely reserved about it. As much as I love Patrick Warburton, I was like, this is not the <laughs> character that I know. This is not Kid's Head or Kit's Head Cannon, you know. Mm. And then have, you know what? It turned out really well. And I really enjoyed it. And tons of kids are coming to me wanting to read this great book series. And I can turn to them and be like, here, read this, enjoy this, be a part of this. And you know what? When you're done with that, he has these other books that you can read. And then I'm I'm feeding their minds, I'm making them excited about reading, and I'm creating, hopefully lifelong readers or fans that then branch out into other things it's that whole like the connect you know you and mike have the same superpower which is enthusiastic recommendation oh i've always said that that's your superpower mike yeah, I, I have put in that position. I work at a used bookstore, so mm-hmm. I have I have that happen all the time. You do have that because I actually in the last like four weeks read both Fatal and yes. um, I finished reading Velvet. I'm trying to get my hands oh. on the Fade Out because you recommended that. I also. You the, didn't I give you the Fade Out? Maybe you. I gave you the fade the, out the, for the your fade birthday out is, this last is pretty year. Pretty fucking incredible. Okay, so yeah. it's I gave on my you the first fade out. Okay, all right. Yeah. Now you yes. have no excuse. So, no, I'm going to read because Fatal was incredible. I mean, I, a Velvet. I 
so desperately want Velvet to be made into a film, and I want Carrie Ann Moss to play Velvet Templeton. Yeah, I can see that. I think she would yep. be fantastic. Yep. yep. Um, By the way, if, if you don't know, Velvet is basically a period spy story. Imagine if the most dangerous person in James Bond's office is actually Miss Moneypenny. Yes. James Bond has been murdered, and she has been framed for that murder, and now she's on the run. It's fucking wonderful. Yeah, and it's cool. wrapped up. It's wrapped up really, really well. It's it's Ed, it's Ed Brubaker, of course, and we know that I'm gay for Brubaker, so I'm always going to recommend everything that he does. You actually mentioned Killer Be Killed in yes. our, in our main yeah. panel. Um, that, as as that we collectively went through Vigilante as one of our topics for this to see him do Vigilante fiction is awesome. It it's came out totally I've amazing. never had him fail me. It's yeah, yeah so he's good. remarkably yep. consistent for mm-hmm. uh, um, a landscape that I mean, even Warren Ellis has let me down. Ed Brubaker is he just has a really remarkable grasp on the stories he's telling on the genre. Yeah, the genre. yeah. He's like the Louis L'Amour of crime fiction. Yeah. I would say he yeah. he is he is, and he has this very um, uh, this 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 sensibility that comes out of Chandler and Hammett and McDonald and. And and all these great kind of hard boiled fiction writers. Pair him um, with Cook. Yeah. I love Ed Brubaker so what, much. What is yeah. the what is the least Brubaker Brubaker thing? <laughs> what was the the thing that he was the most could it sort of um, fanboy comic booky? Oh, fanboy uh, comic o- over over the top. Captain America probably his Captain yeah. America stuff, but it was still very much a spy thriller. He's yeah. the one who wrote Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. oh, by the way, I actually have an Ed Brubaker story, and I'm not certain if I've told it on this show before. Oh. I think I've danced around it, but I've told it to a lot of people because it's still the nerdiest thing I've ever witnessed. And it actually bounces off a rant that Joe had on Facebook the other day about your disdain for Will <laughs> Wheaton. Wheaton? Oh, yes! Will Wheaton. No! Listen, I'm going to say this now because this, <laughs> this, is, my, this is my new thing. Is it, is, was, it titled, Shut up, was it titled Shut Up, Wesley? No, but that, is, that, that describes my entire the entirety of my feelings towards Will Wheaton because he was on At Midnight the other day. I'm a huge At Midnight fan. I love Chris Hardwick. And he was on with... Um, Drew Carey and oh god, I'm, she's a regular on the show, and I cannot remember her name, and I'm sorry for that. But basically, they were doing live all last week, and you could vote to give your favorite comic uh, five thousand bonus points. And of course, by virtue of him being Will Wheaton, yeah, he got the five thousand bonus points, and then he fucking cheated and for the win oh. by bringing up an argument that he was having with Hardwick about the Jeff Gift thing. Uh. Oh. So, of course, he fucking, so by referencing that, he totally gave away that it was him that did that. And so, of course, he won it. Oh. The whole point of For the Win is that it's anonymous. You don't know until Immoral, after, yeah. after it's called who did what. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I was like, I'm tired. I'm tired of harboring <laughs> these feelings <laughs> secretly inside me. The world must know. Let it out. Will Wheaton is fucking overrated. He is overrated <laughs> in every possible way that a human being can be overrated. He's not Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion is everything that Will Wheaton is not. He's charming. He's funny. He's a delight. Will Wheaton is none of these I fucking things. I once saw him help an old lady across the street <laughs> yeah. while rescuing a kit. And Do I you know what Will Wheaton isn't? He isn't a triple threat. He's That's not, all that matters. He's not a triple threat. He's not an EGOT winner. I secretly winner. suspect <laughs> that Nathan Fillion might be Spider-Man also. Oh, oh my God. Oh, good lord! How does that the, feel? Your lance got boils. It feels good. Wow. Feels good. I just—it's—it's it's funny because I was like watching it with with my wife Kirby, and I was like, um, 
it just kind of came bubbling up in me, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to post this on Facebook because who the fucking internet cares? must know my rage. Like, seriously, I got more reaction. Like, I wrote a post the other day about like I I wrote. I think the last big thing I did on Facebook was Election Day, and I was like, you know, we're going to stand together, blah blah blah, solidarity, and like fucking nobody responded to it. I post two sentences about Will Wheaton, and I have 14 fucking replies, <laughs> replies within replies. Everybody's like. Now it's going to blow up into a whole big thing about Big Bang Theory because I have a friend that loves it and most of my friends hate it. I fucking hate it. Um, it. I'm really glad nerd is not an ethnicity because that show would be a lot worse. Thank you. Fucking thank you. I was like, if you were to fucking replace nerd with any ethnicity in that show. It's like Biff Tannen wrote this show. Oh, my God. Anyways. anyways, It's over, Biff. Have I ever told you the story about me and Patrick Johnson, friend of the show, who's who's on here, about uh, my only... My only actual direct experience with uh, with that show. My only direct experience. Um, Patrick Johnson and I are are at the Oregon coast, um, and we're there with his younger brother, and the brother, we're, we're having a great time on the beach. We're on the beach. We're on the or- like on a sunny day. It's nice, kicking the soccer ball around, and we're talking. And Patrick and I are talking as we normally do about you know like uh, ethics and uh, ideology, and you know. We get to the topic of our other can artificial intelligences be human or whatever, like all the things that you do when you're slightly stoned and on the beach and kicking a soccer ball around. And there's a 45 year old woman who comes up who's also a tourist who walks up. She hears 15 seconds of her conversation because it takes her a while to sift through the sand. And she laughs and she goes, <laughs> Big Bang Theory, turns around and walks away. Oh, Christ on a cracker. Yeah. That's it. That oh. and then that's that's all. Some people's conceptualization yeah. are people talking about things <laughs> that look like they're young man, young nerdy guys. Uh, is haha, Big Bang Thank Theory. Yep. That's, yeah, that's it. That's oh. that's like how it's, for some reason when I go to work, I keep getting um, older like older ladies who watch crime shows or whatever come up to me and be like, you remind me of that girl on that show. It's like a crime show. And, you know, she has that style, oh, that weird God. little style that's kind of like your style. It's a. Uh, Oh, Abby. Abby from NCIS. And I'm like, I don't look like fucking Abby. Oh, yeah. Fuck off, Granny. Like, I don't know you. Are what we're saying here is fuck CBS. I, yeah, I, I, I think agree. that's fair. I, I think agree. that's fucking fair. Mike oh. did have a point at one point in this conversation. Um, it better be angry. Um, oh, it better I, be about CBS primetime no, programming. Fuck you, CBS. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you also canceled Jericho. Um, but... The uh, the the story with Will Wheaton at the heart of this. That aside, and I, I just it's like, do I go into talking about how I get angry about Big Bang Theory because it's basically just two and a half men with Spock references? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> or do I tell the story I was going to tell? I don't know. Tell the, I can get angry about tell, both. Tell the, tell the story. Tell the story because the Big gonna, Bang Theory uh, hatred, I think, is an episode in and of we itself. Don't, uh, we don't need to feed it anymore. I think yeah. The flames are high enough. Yeah. At, uh, at least I don't have to worry about getting comments on this episode no, no comments but, necessary. Uh, so years ago this is like 2006 2007 i met emerald city comic-con this is when it's at the seahawks stadium before it became a massive event that has parking that i don't want to fight anymore oh uh, it makes me so sad i want to go but it's so crowded and i turn into like you know fucking king kong with the flash bulbs going off on me <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> i can't handle that shit um 
So anyways, I'm I'm there when it's just Seahawks Stadium, and I'm getting a bunch of Captain America books signed by Ed Brubaker. It's fucking great, you know? I, what I love about the comic book industry is no matter how big a star somebody is, I can meet them and talk to them. I'm never going to talk to fucking George Clooney for 10 minutes about, you know, burn after reading. But I can talk to Ed Brubaker, a guy who wrote a really popular comic book story. Mm -hmm. So he's signing a big stack of my Captain America books when Will fucking Wheaton walks up and in front of me negotiates with Ed Brubaker a time to play Dungeons and Dragons later. (laughs) And they name drop another writer, I think it's Rucka, but I'm only about 30% sure, who's apparently going to be there too. And I'm just like, Holy shit, this is weird. Wesley Crusher is talking to the guy who writes Captain America about Dungeons and Dragons. You should have asked if you could you could join. You should have been like, I'll, I'll play. I would kill the moment. Yeah, I, I would have just been like, sure, you just walked up in the middle of yeah. our conversation. I assumed I was part of it, yeah. you know? Jeez. Yeah. But that was fucking weird. Get but, savage on his ass. Every, every time I've been to PAX, I've seen Will Wheaton every single time. Is he the so, free space on your bingo he's, card? He's, yeah. he's the Phil's free space. I thought sure. that was yeah. Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> oh, Lou. Lou Ferrigno is the free space in my heart. Oh. John Polito was my free space on the card. I miss you, John Polito. <laughs> he's a brother, Seamus. So uh, one of the things that I've done recently... Um, is I think it was over the last year. I think I started this in early 2016. It was based on a New Year's resolution from 2013. I take my time. Um, <laughs> as I said, you know what? I love comic books. I want to finally break down and learn how to read manga because I'd never mm. done that. It was intimidating, the idea of reading something right to left. And um, The thing I learned a lot of times with a lot of first-time comic readers is how comic books are a language and some people struggle with it where I don't because I've been doing this since I was nine. And um, I realized that I was hitting that wall myself, that I would have to relearn my eye to move in a certain direction and look at panels. And it got a little difficult at first when I would go from the bottom left panel up to the top right panel when I'm moving left when turning a page. That would fuck with me for a little while, but I got used to it. And I got to say, I fucking love a lot of the manga that I found. Yeah. Eat um, your pizza the wrong way, crust first. Yeah. <laughs> Those old commercials. There's, but, there's a lot of good shit. Have you read Monster yet? I haven't, but I have Monster. Okay, that's that's my big thing for people who are starting to read <clears throat> manga and who have come from like American comics is I want everybody to read Monster if they love American comics because it's it's really cool to see um to see how nuanced the characters get and how fun it is to um watch this particular type of like crime and mystery story unfold. I don't know what it is particularly about monster that just feels like the right thing to hand somebody after reading a lot of like capes books, but it's especially too, if you like things like uh, breaking bad and and lots of uh, sort of twisting, turning parts of plot uh, monster is exciting. It's also by Naoki Urasawa, who I actually, the thing that kind of got me started, I think the first thing I read was by Kengo Hanazawa, which is a book called I Am a Hero, uh, which I fucking love. That was the first one. But the second thing that I really got into actually was Junji Ito, which was um, Uzumaki. And that's what I read again about that. That'll fuck with you. Is I really think that Junji Ito is a sick, sick man in all the best ways. Read Parasite. Oh, I oh, man, I I have it on my list, but I I think I need to give myself some a lot of chaser after mm. because uh, there are things <laughs> in Uzumaki 
like images that they're not like jump scare scary, but they're just mildly awful or too horrible and disturbing. And they're things that will suddenly, without bidding, just pop into my head like the snail people cooking on the fire yeah. will pop into my head and I'll feel really uncomfortable and a little nauseous for like 10 <laughs> minutes thinking about this. He's the king of body horror, though. Like, if you end up enjoying those things and you haven't, um, and, and you're also doing your film challenge, I've noticed on Facebook, um, Tetsuo. Oh, yes. Tetsuo. Oh, Tetsuo the Iron, Iron Man. Man. Yeah. yeah. I have to it's, add that. Tetsuo uh, the Iron Man, interestingly enough, has not not the whole soundtrack, but is one of the uh, the only films to have a uncredited Nine Inch Nails song in the soundtrack. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't don't expect you to care about that, except it also is kind of a crazy fucked up movie. Black and White? Yeah. It's an an, an amazing choice. Totally amazing choice. I have like 300 movies to go, so I'm happy to take uh, recommendations. But yeah, the next one I read, the first long-form manga I read was by Naoki Urasawa, who also did Monster, called 20th Century Boys, Mm -hmm. which I am fucking evangelical about. That's amazing. That idea is amazing. So Um, good. Are you familiar with 20th Century Boys? Yeah, no, you've given me the pitch. It's on okay. my list. Okay, time to give the audience the pitch so they're not out of a conversation that I've had with everyone no, except the audience. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, um, it's about the main character is a guy named Kenji, Kenji Endo, who is um, a failed musician. He is uh, somebody who works at a convenience store. And uh, he was part of a gang of kids, uh, kind of Goonies esque in the late 60s, early 70s, who built their clubhouse in an abandoned field and came up with a club and decided that they would play a game about a fictional evil organization that would take power when they were adults and how they would do all of these horrible things before they would rise up as the good guys and save the world in the year 2000. And the bad guys would, you know, like have a bomb at the airport and they would release these viruses in London and San Francisco and they would have a killer robot. (laughs) And they of course come up with the sort of things that kids come up with and they eventually bury it as part of their time capsule thing that of course they're going to forget about. Flash forward to the late nineties. They're all in their late thirties. Kenji works at a convenience store that he owns. He has a pretty lackluster life and job. He's taking care of his niece who his sister had abandoned. She was like an infant and uh, one day he goes to deliver alcohol to uh, this uh, family as a scientist in his family and goes there. And the cops are there because the family has all completely gone missing. And he sees the emblem of his club as a kid etched on the door and realizes very slowly that all of these ideas they came up with when they were 10 years old have become the basis for a crazy death cult, <laughs> which is going to try to act out all of the things that they came up with as children. And he has to bring his sort of his friends together to try to remember what they came up with and battle this cult, which already has people in the fucking police and faces of government. And it kind of goes from there. And it is fucking wonderful. I um, love it. I want to read. I, I desperately want to read it. Uh, Kirby, my wife, is reading Jinji Ito stuff right now, and she's fucking marathoning it. Oh. And like, I refuse to read it because body horror and that kind of stuff is not my cup of tea at all. 
But uh, so you, I am, you didn't like the very end of uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I I say I I have words to have with both of you about Rogue One. Oh, but okay. Oh my we're not God. gonna have the, We're not gonna have them on air. Oh, okay. <laughs> so because oh nobody wants God. to hear me this, screaming. Will, will this be a Black Op episode? Where only we're only Patreon <laughs> subscribers get to know the real story. You have to pay to hear Joe dress us down. <laughs> oh my God, Joe! Um, you, you basically are the Hulk Hogan of this pay per view. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. you gotta pay. I, will, I will be the real American. Fight for the I'm rights of every fan. I'm ripping my shirt off as we speak. <laughs> I am ready to go. Uh, no, I, I... I would say ask Kirby to take a break every so often. Don't want read too much Junji Ito in a row. She's Get some squirrel girl in there. you got to cut that shit with no, something like she, else or you'll go crazy. She's a fucking machine, man. She yeah. went to the... She went through Uzumaki to the one with the sharks having Kyo. legs. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, Kyo's she just... And, and then she just finished Tomie. That, no, that's the worst one, if you ask she, me. She that is bother, the hardest She one said the one that bothered her the most was... A I don't, I don't remember the name, but it's the one where the heads are just floating around. There's like balloons and they take people's heads or something. I don't know. I just, oh, I, I feel about, uh, I just don't want to ever read that. But I just, I, I do like the manga I've read that I've been able, I've read uh, Buddha, oh. um, which is really good. And I've read, um, I've read some uh, Pluto, which is by- uh, Naoki Urasawa. Yes. Mm-hmm. That guy um, is a fucking genius. And Azamanga Dayo is one of my favorite mm. things ever mm. because it's so fucking wholesome and wonderful. It's and a I, wholesome meme for Joe it, it is a wholesome meme. Yeah. It is the wholesome meme you've been waiting for. And both the anime and um and the uh and the manga are both fantastic. Although it's interesting because they one of the things they do, one of the characters is from Osaka. Mm-hmm. And so they call her Osaka. But in the manga, she she has this very like New York like style way of speaking to show that she speaks differently. She speaks with a different accent, and uh, and then the manga she's like Southern, which yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like the or the, in the anime, the dub, in the anime, they make her a yeah, they make her kind of like a Southerner. But it was, um, it was a huge mark of pride when I was taking Japanese that um, that my teacher right before I left um, for Kyoto was like. You really got to rein that in. Like people are gonna think that you're some sort of like comedian or some sort of like joke of a person. And I'm like, why? And they're just like, if you're going to Tokyo, you need to rein in that Osaka accent. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Kansai region. So same thing. My host mom talking to her. She's just kind of like, you're, you're a comedian, aren't you? You're a funny kid, aren't you? And I'm like, because of the stereotypes from that. Well, yeah, it's like, and- yeah, it, it was it was funny, and I was just like. No, but it only became worse when I told her I liked the Hunch and Tigers. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so. it, is Osaka like the Japanese equivalent of Dallas or something like that? Dallas? As, as far as Japanese baseball goes, oh. um, humorously enough, they are Boston. Oh, that's so, the worst. Oh my so God. Basi- no. Um, so basically, <laughs> uh, Tokyo, Tokyo Yomiuri Giants, um, even though they're called the Giants and their logo is quite similar to the... Um, the Giants in the States. They're the Yankees. They're the Yankees. They spend the most money. Over there. Yeah. And um, Hanshin, 
is they're they're basically the Red Sox. They even have their own version of the Red Sox curse, the curse of the Colonel. Uh. Um, a KFC Colonel got thrown into a river, <laughs> and this apparently cursed them for several years. <laughs> but their fans have the same level of uh, rabidness that Sox fans do. Are, are you are you are you pricking a little? Is there is there some rivalry that I know about? I think when you had a T-shirt. Are you oh, yes, you have uh, you have a hand in the Boston versus New York? Well, Joe has poor I'm, taste in many things. I'm from the. <laughs> I not not that we're making it a thing, but I just assuming no, that I, I not now know about you because you made a point of making a crazy rant about it when I was at your house. Yes, I so I I was born in New York. I was raised in Albuquerque, but I was born in New York, and so oh. I always considered myself a New Yorker. And as such, I am a New York Yankees fan because. Oh. The Yankees are the greatest sports team in any sport. It's it's ever kind of like rooting the for the States. United Federation of Planets. I yeah, find. it really it's, it, you know, it they're, is. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna win. But um, it's born I, in a crossfire hurricane. I um, <laughs> I really don't care that much about baseball. I care about baseball ideologically because you know baseball is very connected to the kind of fabric of the American experience. But uh, I don't watch a lot of uh, I don't watch a lot of baseball really. My father-in-law is a Mariners fan, so we can we just you know kind of avoid each other. <laughs> uh, as far as that goes, you know, I watch more football than I do baseball. Oh. Um, I would much rather see baseball live though. And yeah. So for a it, long time, better. there's something I love about expensive beer and hot dogs and. Men over the age of fifty yelling. Yes, because mm-hmm. it's that's, wonderful. That's it, my experience are, at being in a baseball game. I don't know why, but those three things. You're like, there's something I like about that, and somehow I got the idea of a dominatrix doing this for you. <laughs> I need a fifty year old man with expensive <laughs> beer and a hot dog. With, with that's leather, usually how it's done. With yeah. leather, yes. yes. Get him out of there, you bum! Get him out of there. <laughs> he's got to wear cleats and he's got to yell at me. What does it mean? Like it's. Just yelling safe over and over behind a closed door. You know, he's out of there. So it's funny because the, so, you know, the Cubs won the World Series and this was a. Wait, they did? Yes. No. 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 Yes. They, I heard, I've heard tell. I don't know. It's 108 years uh, since they've, they've won a a championship like that. And it made me think of um, the movie Field of Dreams. I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I was also a big fan of W.P. Kinsella, who died last year, strangely mm. enough, who wrote Field of Dreams. But I always, to me, I always remember at the end of that fucking movie, um, Timothy Busfield is trying mm. to get Ray to sell the farm. And he's just like, you got to sell. You're going to lose everything. And James Earl Jones, as this J.D. Salinger kind of stand in, starts talking about baseball. And how baseball—it's like baseball. that whole fucking that whole <laughs> monologue he gives while the dickhead from Thirty Something is there trying to get Ray to fucking sell out. And I'm just like, which that reference totally dates me, but yeah. I'm okay with it. Um, that's the first thing that's ever dated you on a podcast. Right? Yeah, no, a, yeah, right. <laughs> it's not the creaking of my bones as I move around. Um, that that. Really, there's something about baseball, and, and especially being a new, going to New York and seeing, you know, I would go to Yankee Stadium, man. That's fucking Yankee Stadium. All the people that people know from fucking baseball played at Yankee Stadium. It's always amazed me that they're all, they are the Yankees. So 
they are like the representative of the entire North. Yeah. Yeah, if it's the yeah. North versus the South, you want the don't you want the Yankees to win? Come on, don't you want the Yankees yeah, to win? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's like it's like you know Yogi Berra is not just a Yankee catcher; he's part of fucking American culture. You know, he's part of pop culture, and I don't. I think that has less to do with the Yankee thing, but it's your it bear-based bias coming through again. It's it is, yeah. but everybody knows that bears have the best taste when it comes to picking baseball teams. I, it's because they're napping through half the damn game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I've had this ongoing like game playing in the back of my head for the last five minutes, where I'm imagining a fetish where somebody just wants to argue with an umpire. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's oh what I went playing for that fucking experience. Wow, it's like I just need somebody to show up in the pads and the mask, and I would scream at them about something or get in each other's. <laughs> For 10 minutes? I would love to. Golden Craigslist ads. You could call it the Billy Martin experience. I need this. You oh could call God. it the Billy Martin experience. Charge people like a couple hundred bucks a pop. You get to kick dirt on the fucking umpire's <laughs> shoes and fucking get a. You can they'll you can stand him on a box if you're tall, because like, Billy Martin was not a tall guy. But, but it's he, like a stripper because you can't touch him. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no you hands. see how close to him you yeah. can get. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? He was in. He was in. He was in by a mile. What the fuck? Are, Joe, I just, I think you just found your call. I know, right? <laughs> you could be an umpire mean, call, girl. I should <laughs> Do it over the phone. No, I don't want to be screamed at. Yeah. I want to be no, Billy Martin No, that's what I'm saying. You, but you need to scream at other people. Yeah, other people, yes. Over the phone. You've never screamed no, no, at I'm, anyone. No, no. If I was on the, glo- I, I see I'm on the global frequency for when they need somebody to scream <laughs> at other people. There it is. Bring it in full I'm circle. I'm really good at that. That's nice. That's why I do fucking podcasts. I do a podcast. I do a podcast. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran Our editor was Mike Gillis Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com